excited. It's only a week away. It's not a week away. It's two weeks away. What are you talking? Oh, that. No, I thought you were referring to the new format that's coming in off-road in a couple of weeks. We're going to have some new features. It'll be fun. It'll be great. It'll be, well, a little different. Anyway, new features. Very exciting. But let's talk about this week's podcast. This is also very exciting because we have six people talking instead of just me and some other poor person. We have the six playwrights who are involved in the new Road Less Traveled production of Buffalo Rises 2.0. Now, what's Buffalo Rises 2.0? Well, it's, it's going to be really cool. Radio plays. Any of you old enough to remember radio plays? I certainly am. Radio plays are the, the, the imagination of the mind. They're storytelling of the mind. You hear them and you imagine what you're supposed to be seeing, what you're visualizing because of the voices and the words and the sounds. It's really, really fun. And these are six plays written by Buffalo playwrights about our city on the rise. And they're plays that were specifically designed to be radio plays. So that's pretty cool. So what we've done is there were six playwrights. And I know you don't want to hear six people all at once. So what I did was I divided it up. One male and one female voice and and my voice for each of three interviews. Three 20-minute interviews with each pair of writers. It was the only way I could figure to get everybody on and have everybody get the opportunity to talk without getting too confusing for the listener. So let's start things off right away with Donna Hoke and Gary Earl Ross, two playwrights for Buffalo Rises 2.0. You know, I have so much interest in the whole process of how you guys got involved and well, well, let's start with ladies first. Donna, you are, well, both of you are, are probably very, very well known in Buffalo as playwrights. Had you been involved in Buffalo Rises 1.0 or how did you get involved in this year? And Gary, same question for you. Yeah, I was involved in, in uh, the original Buffalo Rises. I had the, the Spirit of Buffalo play and then Alleyway actually re- did a reprisal of that play in their quickies not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So that was a comedy. And so, yeah, and because I'm also on the ensemble at Road Less Traveled, like, you know, they, I think they feel obligated <laughs> to ask me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. Oh, but we'll have to ask Donna, I guess. <laughs> no, but I mean, they only have three playwrights on the ensemble. So I see. So so to answer my question, you were you were invited or you said... Yeah, I'll be involved. I mean, did you pursue it? Yeah, no, it they didn't put out any kind of open call. I see. They just contacted the playwrights and asked if they were interested. And you, Gary? I had a piece in uh, Buffalo Rising um, 1.0, The Man Who Saved the President Almost, which was a short play that was adapted from um, a chapter of my historical novel, Blackbird Rising. And then uh, Scott contacted mm-hmm. me about 2.0. And I met with him and he told me what he was trying to do. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Sure, I'm in. So when this moment comes that you say, okay, I'm in, do you in the back of your mind already have an idea or do you, or do you have a play that has been either on the shelf or in the back of your mind and you're thinking, I know what would work here? Or did you sit down and say, I have to 
search for inspiration, either one of you? Well, it's such a specific prompt in that it has to be 10 minutes. It had to be audio play, which I didn't have any audio plays in Mm -hmm. my body of work. And it had to have a positive Buffalo spin. So I found I had the same issue I had with the initial Buffalo Rises, which was it's very hard to find conflict in something that is having a very positive spin. (laughs) So where last time it was about somebody trying to convince someone to move back to Buffalo so they could say all these positive things. This time I kind of decided to dig into history and see if I could find some little known thing that you know, because with audio, you don't have to worry about period costumes or period sets or, or anything like that. So I thought I can do something historic and we won't have to worry about any of those elements. So that's what I ended up doing. And Gary, did you, what about your inspiration? Where did... I said I would do it. And I have, I have, over the years, I've published probably 80 short stories. And I had an idea for a piece I wanted to do, but it wasn't as positive and... It was based on an interaction I had with someone. When issues come up that deal with racial justice, people call me up and say, what do you think about blank and so forth? <laughs> and, and I tried to be honest. And one guy I thought was my friend called me up and we went through this whole thing where he just freaked out on me and said, well, white people have grievances with black people too. And there's, there's too much grievance. And, and, and then he said, are you recording this? Are you? <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and he was not a close friend. And I thought, I, I'm just going to block him because he's kind of a negative person. And I thought about writing about that exchange, but it felt too negative. But I did have a short story I had written, mm. uh, a short short called The Terrorist for Flash Fiction Press. I had played around with the idea of turning that into a short play. And I had an initial draft that Kelly Buth had used with her students at uh, Performing Arts. And I saw them do that. And then I thought about that. This is, this could be good. This could be a good thing for Buffalo. And this could be, it reflects, I think, a positive part. And so I changed the title to Incident on a Crosstown Bus and then went with it and and updated it, adapted it to the time and, and everything else. So it was not originally about Buffalo? It was. And you adapted it? It was generic. It didn't have to. It, it didn't have to be in another city. Uh, okay. Uh, it, it was generic, and I mentioned another football team in the original story, and it was simple enough to just put the bills in sure. and expand it so that sure. it included information that is specific yeah. to Buffalo. And and so so the the concept for all of these is that somehow you have to come up with a positive spin. Uh, somehow you have to come up. It, it was that the challenge, Donna. You had mentioned that. I found that to be challenging last time, and I found it to be challenging this time. And what I ultimately ended up writing about was um, a doctor in 1850 who was the first doctor in the United States to do a live birth for his students at the at the UB Medical School in 1850. So it was scandalous. So there was the conflict, but the fact that he had advanced midwifery in this way, demonstrative midwifery is what they called it, and it was a huge scandal when he did it. But you know, it was an advancement. So that's the positive thing. So you did research. Yeah. And and you found this event that had right. a positive. Yeah. And when I read about it, I thought this would make great audio because, you know, we could have the birth and it's audio. We don't just show this on stage. I mean, there's so many things like audio. I just, I mean, I went down a rabbit hole of what makes a good audio play and discovered that it's really a closer relative to a screenplay than a stage play because you can jump around very quickly between scenes and, you know, to transition sets and things. So I probably have like eight or nine scenes in this 10-minute play. It jumps around much like a short film might. Well, that brings up a really a really good question because 
I really wanted to know how this is different when you're writing for the stage or you're writing a radio play. I mean, we all know like Shakespeare, because there were no sets, he had to build into his dialogue. Oh, here we are in the forest. And here we, you know, he had to build that stuff. So for a radio play, did either of you find it free? Well, Donna, you already said you found it rather freeing mm -hmm. to be outside the constraints of having a set or having costumes. Yeah. Gary, what, what about you? Did you find it freeing or, or more complicated because you had to build some things in? It wasn't more complicated, it was fun. It was something I wanted to do. Once I realized I wouldn't get rich writing, <laughs> I wanted to dabble in everything. Yes. And the uh, radio plays, that was something I wanted to do. And I learned a, a correct format for it, but I, I didn't use that format. Um, I used a different format, but the key to radio plays, and I have a collection of them, is sound. Uh, uh, it's it's creating the atmosphere, the thing that that makes you believe you're there. And and when I was ten and discovered Ray Bradbury, decided I wanted to write, I just went down the rabbit hole with story. I looked at everything: short stories, movies, TV shows, and they used to have on on the old WYSL um, every Sunday afternoon. I know I'm betraying my age here. I remember them, Gary. I remember. Lone Ranger in the Shadow. Yes. Four, from four to five on Saturday or Sunday afternoons. There was also even later at night the CBS Mystery yes. Radio Theater or something. I don't remember what station it was on. My brother and I used to listen to those things. And then slowly, and, and you know, I've had a home library for years. I had to cut down most of my books when I sold my house. But I still kept my radio plays and my films because they were all on disc and they were, or, or tapes. And, and I have a bunch of classic radio plays. I've listened to them over the years. I used to take drives when I took a long trip. I'd take a cassette with a radio play. And the whole pacing and everything is based on letting the sound paint the picture. And it's really cool. And I'd wanted to do one for a long time. So this, this is the rise of the what they used to call the Foley artists, right? Uh, in film, yes. Yes. Do all the sound effects and... Yeah, now it's all electronic. I, I'm really excited to hear the soundscape because Eric Burlingame is doing the sound design for all the plays. Mm. And, you know, we've rehearsed it and I've heard it, but I think hearing it with all of that is just going to make such a huge difference. And I, I actually have uh, my play Seeds, which won the 2013, I think, Artie. Yes. Is being produced in London audio, so I had to adapt that. So it's a one act version, all audio. Um, so there's so much of that happening. So did both of you build into the script, right into the script? Did you actually write in the sound of something yes. is heard, this is heard, mm -hmm. uh, or yeah. is that up to the director slash? No, you say no. what the sounds are throughout, and then it's up to the designer to like. You know, sometimes it's a soundscape you're looking for, like street noise. So, like in 1850, that's like, like the clop of hooves and you know, things like that. Yeah, that would that would be cool to do. Mine takes place in a police interrogation room, and so the sounds are papers rustling, and the sound of chain on handcuffs rattling through a ring on a table, mm -hmm. and that would establish the location as much as anything else, the sound of those chains. And that's necessary. And, and radio play format has a whole column for sounds. I see. And um, But uh, I thought that would be confusing. So I put the sounds um, center like dialogue. I see. So the person reading would be able to follow that with, with no problem. See, in the radio format I found didn't have them centered. They had them underlined, bold, yeah. you know, interspersed with the dialogue. I mean, there's so many formats for all kinds of scripts. That was going to be my next question, 
Did you each follow a different format? Apparently, it sounds like it. When you're writing screenplays, or Gary, I mean, I've seen commercial things where they have one side has the what the video is going to be, and the other side what the dialogue is going to be, and so on. But in this case, you put the sound across, or excuse me, you put it down. The no, no, I put the sound in the center, the way dialogue is. In the center. I think we both interspersed it just with different indentation. But um, like I just submitted a, a podcast to a contest yesterday and they, they said it should be in screenplay format. So I think nobody is really sure what the audio podcast format is yet because I don't think they want to go back to the old, old radio format, which is kind <laughs> of different. Everyone's used to screenplay format and since it is a closer relative to that, I think that's where it's leaning, but I don't think there's an established any more than there is for a stage play. And I wonder if the old radio format was like that because they did have a live sound effects man standing right there who had to follow through the script and have all of the items, the bells, the chains, the, you know, the hammer and the footsteps and so on right there. My favorite sound effect of all time uh, is the the Orson Welles War of the Worlds, 1938 opening of the spaceship he was unscrewing the lid on a jar in a toilet <laughs> and recording <laughs> that was such a, a cool way to have the spaceship open. oh how cool yeah, that the is the ingenuity yeah. of those old sounds is pretty cool yeah. i mean now it's just press a button and here's like an actual recorded sound of whatever right right and the bbc released all of their sound effects you can you can get them all online now so even yeah. if you wow. need something strange like that yeah they're all available for free at the bbc sound effects library oh, wow. i'll keep that in mind if i do other podcasts or there are millions of them i think i mean i'm not sure how many there are but thousands of thousands of and of course a lot of them were recorded live you know at the train station and you the train wheels go it, i just listened to a bunch of them right. for That's the fun cool. of it i wasn't i'm going to write that down because listen uh, one other quick question before i let you go and that is so you've got 10 minutes to tell a story to establish a complication a conflict establish characters establish some kind of climax holy cow that's that's got to be challenging to be uh, you're really limited it, and were they very strict about the time limits or X number of pages? They, they were not strict about the time mm-hmm. limits. I always feel like they should be strict about the time limits. I have never met a 12-minute play that really shouldn't have been a 10-minute play. <laughs> um, <laughs> truly. And I think people tend to overwrite it when you yeah. give them the latitude they take it. I, I think mine might be around 11. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I offered to cut and they said, no, no, no. So we'll see. We'll see how it how it quickly it moves. Uh, I felt much the same way. I didn't think, I'm used to writing short stories. I started writing short stories. I'm used to putting together the conflict, um, the rising action, the climax in a short space. And, and my favorite example in um, is the Henny Youngman line, take my wife, please. That's a story with characters yes. and a uh, punchline. Mm-hmm. And it says so much in such a short time that that, you know, you have to, you're thinking compactly. Yeah, I have dozens of short plays. I mean, it's a form now. Yeah. So I think people are kind of used to doing it. When I thought about that, I thought that's, that has to be tremendously challenging to establish everything. But as you said, Gary, Take My Wife, Please is, you've got the conflict, you've got the characters, you've got the resolution all right there and in one line. What's that other six word one, Gary? Uh, 
for sale baby shoes unused or something like that? Baby shoes never worn. Hemingway, yes. Oh, wow. And I've I practiced writing six-word stories. I had a, had a few of those published, too. It's an exercise to keep you to keep you thinking as a writer would think. Do you see why I have such admiration for writers? All right. At the end, here, we're at the end almost. Let me just give you each an opportunity to tell me. Donna, you've already said a little bit about the play, but tell us a little bit about the characters involved and uh, without giving too much away, the plot. So it's Dr. James Platt White, who was the doctor who had this idea and, and the woman that he convinces to do it. So not much is known about her. So that's kind of where I had to fill in, fictionalize a little bit, pretty much had her name and the fact that she was a single woman with two children. So it kind of went from there. Real historical characters. Gary? Well, I have Adila Farhani and I believe Detective Mills. I do a lot of writing and I haven't visited that script in two weeks. So um, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure his name is Mills. And there's been a shooting on a crosstown bus and a woman in a hijab is um, being interrogated about the shooting. So it's two characters? Uh, and there's a third that has a, a step in at the end, the, the captain. The other thing you can do, voices can double on radio. So you can have a ton of characters that have one line or two lines. And it's not like stage where you have to justify hiring the actor because you can use the same actor. Oh, yeah. that would be so much fun. I love doing crazy voices like I, I Well, that would be a lot of fun. What's going to be the format for this in terms of uh, <clears throat> availability? Will all six plays be uh, broadcast in order in, in, or... I mean, they're releasing two per week beginning November 2nd. Okay. And they're, that's what they're doing. And I think you pay for the package and you get two per week, like on Monday and Wednesday or something beginning November 2nd. And I think you can get them through the Road Less Traveled website. And then there's another platform that they're using. And I've never heard of it before, so I've forgotten the name. Yeah, so just some sort of audio vault. Uh, you won't go to YouTube. There might just be a... No, it's not going to be through iTunes or, or Spotify or any of the usual platforms. It's some other thing, which I hope doesn't make it hard for people to access them. And you know what might be a really great idea? Wouldn't it be great? Because every theater in Buffalo is going to be having online stuff like this, some, some videos, some audio. Wouldn't it be great if there was a collection point for all of these Buffalo theater things, a library of all of this? Because even things that are only available temporarily, like current 716 and uh, Bigfoot and things of that nature, the, the Irish classical is having one, and, and uh, I'm going to be doing one with the JRT. All of these things will eventually be available in perpetuity. would like them to be, yeah. There probably is going to be some kind of a, an issue with royalties. I don't know. Some issue with... Maybe, I don't know, actor contracts. I don't know what it's going to be, but... For us with Alleyway, part of the contract was if I want to rebroadcast these, mm -hmm. you know, you will get a percentage of the box office or whatever that might be. Like, and he has, what, a year, Gary, or something like that to, to rebroadcast them, at which point the rights revert to us. But I don't know if that means here's the video to do with what you want, because then again, like, we're dealing with actors. And I don't know, it's it's com it's really complex. I mean, the Dramatist Guild started a new media committee just to address all of these things. I think that, that can all be worked out. Mm -hmm. That can be Because we are inventing the wheel. Yeah. It is, this is uh, unprecedented. We don't... We, we now have things that we never expected to put together like this. And if, in fact, we can create some kind of Buffalo library, that will be unprecedented. That will be a new thing. The lawyers will have to get involved. 
Yeah, no, it gets really dicey because a lot of theaters were coming to playwrights and say, we have archival footage of this play of yours and we're going to run it. And technically they should get royalties for that. And they were basically saying, no, we want you to waive your royalties or like this company in London that's doing the seeds audio. I'm like, well, what's the contract? Oh, uh, we don't have one. So I sent them the new Dramatist Guild contract and they were able to put something together from that. But nobody's mm. even thinking about that. Yeah, it's tough. And I understand there are still some issues with actors' equity and with actors performing in these mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. They've been very slow to respond and create some kind of a standard legal document or, 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 or even procedure, protocol for how this is going to work. Something will have to come from this, though, because theaters are in such dire shape with, with closings. And, and even more so, motion pictures. Tentpole movies may be dying because of, of where we are now. And so this may be an opportunity for theater companies to fill a gap that's... Uh... You would think that the powers that be that have any control over these legal things mm -hmm. would be willing to bend over backwards to, to create opportunities for playwrights and, and performers and, and producing companies to make a buck anywhere. When those companies produced Hearts of Stone in July and Josie was in it, um, because of her equity status, I mean, that that threw the whole cast out of whack, wow. you know, because yeah. she was only allowed this and that, it, you know, like, it's, they don't really bend over backwards. Once in my lifetime, the same thing with Josie in that play was just yes. a nightmare because of equity, but she was perfectly willing to work whatever, and they just, they don't really work with you, especially in the regional, they expect to hold you to the same standards that they have in New York City. So because our show, because the producer screwed up the rental at, at um, Smith, ended up running 14 performances over 11 days, that threw equity just into craziness. Oh. Like, oh, that's blah, 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 that's a Broadway contract. It's like, it's not though. <laughs> like, you know, just that kind of thing. They don't really work with you. No, they, they, because the easiest thing is just to fall back on, this is what's been done before. Mm -hmm. Well, none of this has been done before now. So right. I think they're just waiting it out. Well, listen, folks, thank you very much. This has been great. Thank you so much, Peter. Guys, have a great day. Thank you, Peter. Uh, guys, have a good day. Bye-bye. Have a great day. I'm looking forward to hearing both of yours. And I appreciate you showing up here on, uh, on the podcast with me. That was fun. Thanks. It was fun. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Donna Hoke and Gary Earl Ross, two of the most well-known writers in Buffalo. Involved in the Buffalo Rises one-act play festival, and the one-act plays are being performed as radio plays, in case I haven't mentioned that enough times. And now, for the final time in this format, we reached way beyond the bounds of Buffalo, and that's a hint for you, as we present for the final time... A message from the bunker. When Corona dropped in February and the mandates started coming out in March about locking down, sheltering in place, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, we don't know what you should do about masks, don't go into public places, stay away from people, six feet apart, elbow bumps, fist bumps, but don't touch your face, all that bullshit. I thought... Hey, this is an introvert's holiday. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No problem. Stay away from people. No problem. No problem whatsoever. I hate people. I hate people. I love my friends. I love my family. But boy, do I hate people. So yeah, COVID, whatever. 
I'm fine sheltering in place. I go out when I have to, come back, have coffee. I live my life. I'm comfortable, I'm fine. I miss my friends and I miss eating out at a restaurant and feeling comfortable. The food is still good, the drink is still good, and the conversation is still as stimulating, albeit muffled. I don't know. 2020, f you, man. Peace out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you believe that just got censored? I mean, what the f is that all about? I don't think I've ever been f***ing censored. Oh, well, learn to pick your battles, Peter. Learn to pick your battles. Part two, Buffalo Rises. The next two playwrights are Diane Jones and Daryl Schneider. I've been lucky so far. Hey, you know, I suppose we ought to get down to business here. We've already kill, killed the five minutes that that's not pod worthy. So, so <laughs> let's get down to talking about this. Oh, you know what, Diane? I want to start with you because we should say right up front that you are not the sole author Correct. of this oh. of this particular play yeah, uh, called really... it's, it's All About Time Correct. with Alejandro Gabriel Gomez and Christian Hines. Yes. So tell me why you insisted that they not be on this podcast with you. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought that came to me this way. I had no choice. No, I said to you, Diane, do you want to be by yourself? And you said, no, I don't want those two guys. Oh, stop. You did not. <laughs> it's a good thing I like you, Peter Pomisano. <laughs> I immediately sent them a text and said, Peter Pomisano said, you can't be on it, so you'll have to just deal with it. <laughs> no, we're all excited that I get to be a part of the interview process. I was commissioned and then I went to Katie and I said, you know what? I don't want to be the only voice of this. Can I ask a couple of lads in college? And she said, sure. You were commissioned because this is my first question for you as well, Daryl, but since I'm starting with, with Diane. Yeah. So was it your choice to become part of the Buffalo Rises 2.0? Oh, it was a privilege to be asked. It was... Katie asked you or, or someone? Uh, yeah. Were you not a part of Buffalo Rises last year? That's correct. This is new for me. So it okay, was so super exciting. Somehow your fame as a playwriter has... I trace it back to the first podcast I did with you. I think oh. that that is what's turned the tables for me. And I'm now... So Katie was my one listener then. And, and, and well, she, I'm not even sure about that, but <laughs> oh, she heard she heard from my one one my one fan. Awesome. <laughs> and and so then you asked, and yeah. the two gentlemen are who? Alejandro Gomez and Christian Hines. And, and you know them from what? I've worked peripherally with Alejandro at Robles Traveled. He's an actor mm -hmm. uh, and goes to school above state, my alma mater. And I didn't know Krishna. I only met him once, and Katie recommended him, and they're just delightful. And my life is better for working with these lads. Great. And we developed our own characters and backstories, and we jumped in really not knowing how to write a play virtually with three voices mm -hmm. as a radio play. Lots and lots of unknowns, but we did it. And yeah. it was a great experience. I miss meeting with them of as course. often as we did. That's the tough part I noticed during this whole ordeal. I, you know, I miss sitting around a table with the actors and the director right. going over stuff and maybe you go out for a drink afterwards and you just, the camaraderie and then ideas happen. This was different. Oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah, it must have been tricky just doing it singularly like that. That's why I think I enjoyed having two co-writers. 
so I wasn't in my own void. Mm-hmm. I'll get back to you in a second, Diane. But but Daryl, sure. you, yeah. you were involved in last year's Buffalo Rises, or no? No, I was involved in a one twenty thirteen. Okay, that was the first one. Yeah. Okay. We, so did had. you did did you get invited into this one, or did you volunteer? Yeah, Scott asked me to write a play. At first, I was, oh my god, <laughs> what am I going to write about? I I don't know how to. This is new to me. I was a little bit. That's what I was going to ask. When when that happens, when Daryl when when Scott calls you or emails you and he, and he says, uh, well, it needs to be a, a, a positive piece about Buffalo in some way. I mean, it's the, the title is Buffalo rises as opposed to Buffalo falls. Right. So w- what's your first reaction? Is it a, Oh, well, uh, yeah, I'd like to do it, but wow, what a challenge to have this particular theme. Yeah. It took me, a, I think a couple of days to respond to him that I, I would even accept. I was thinking about it with my wife, if I want to get into this, but I decided, yeah. And there's a lot of positive things going on in the city that mm-hmm. inspired me to, you know, write this piece. And again, I'm asking everybody this, yeah. was it a, a piece that you had on the shelf and you sort of adapted it for the concept of Buffalo Rises or was this a, a fresh idea? And if so, where'd that inspiration come from? Oh, it was, it was uh, a uh, fresh idea. I thought an idea, you know, maybe they could be on the Skyway and they, and they skydive. Oh, what a cool idea. I would do that. And then he point out the various landmarks in the city and that's the waterfront and that's what's going on here. <laughs> and then I said, I don't know if that's going to work, but I like to go to Union Ship Canal, the waterfront and go for a jog and a walk. And I saw these guys fishing and I, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I need to get an environment, which was so good about that area. The big problem with this thing, I need to find an environment that would have certain sounds that would push the story forward that I could use. And I said, that environment is cool. We have pe- people fishing, the reel goes out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pull up something. I want to talk a little bit about, about sound and so on. But Diane, to get back to you just for a second. So yours was a completely fresh idea. How does it work to collaborate? I'm sure you did it via Zoom and so on. But how did you collaborate on the story idea or... Did you come up with it and invite them in? How did that work? Oh, not at all. Yeah. Part of the pitch was, I have no plan. <laughs> I have no, I have no, I mean, we had a plan that we have to write a story, but <laughs> I have no, I wanted it to be collective that we came to it together. So we did a lot of backstory work. And I think that's what developed the story the most. We started with, um, it was right around the time where the old gen- older gentleman was pushed down in Niagara Square. Yes, yes, yes. So we uh, took a um, screen grab of that incident and wrote about not what we saw in the screen grab, but what wasn't there. Mm. And we just started from that point on. I kind of made a deal with Katie. I said, I really don't know if we can do um, Buffalo Rising. Buffalo's super positive. It all depends on what shoes you're wearing at the moment in Buffalo. (laughs) But we can be hopeful. Sure. And she said, hopeful's good. So that was the deal, the deal we struck. Um, and eventually we came up with a, each of our own characters. Oh. And once we had all the backstory for the characters, we were able to, and we worked on um, storytelling uh, plots. So we just did a lot of historical research for the time frame because we had some flashbacks mm-hmm. with our story that we worked around. And all of a sudden we had strong enough characters that they could talk to each other. And the story emerged. So I, I assume that you are not used to writing in collaboration with someone. No. Was it positive for you? 
Yes. Daryl, does that seem appealing to you? Or do you think, how does that even work? I know I was going to ask Diane that question because what happens <laughs> when you're eventually someone's ideas got to get nixed. <laughs> how do you get to that make this decision making? That's, that's a good question, Daryl. We, we decided right from the get go that we should not get too um, attached to any one idea of our own. Mm. And that our common goal had to always be to raise the stakes. Like whatever was decided has to be better for the story and not for our own individual character. I suppose that would work fine if it's, if it's for a single project, but Mm. let's say that the three of you (laughs) were writing like for a TV show and every week, don't you think there would be moments when you'd go, what's he talking about? Why is he, why is he putting down my work? <laughs> you know, you can, you can sort of make an agreement for one. Look, it's just this one project. Right. Let's all leave our egos at the right. door. Hmm. But after that, it's gotta be, well, Daryl's got no right to say that about his piece. Wasn't so good. I didn't think <laughs> there's gotta be that kind of thing going on. It really? It's possible. The tenor of the time helped that not be an issue because it's the middle of a pandemic and it's civil unrest and Mm -hmm. and racial unrest. And so it was a little bit easier to check the egos at the door as it were. And we're all Mm -hmm. pretty new at it. The three of us, I was not out of college that long ago. So I, I mentioned to them, yes, I'm bringing the project to us, but I'm only about five minutes ahead of the game. Um, and, and we did have some readings and we had feedback from people on an editor and we made a decision that no one would change anybody else's words. So I think that was important. So I, I had my own character and I was in charge of writing my character's voice. Hmm. They could suggest something and nine times out of 10, it was good suggesting and vice versa because they gave us, uh, we could play off each other's characters that way, but no one had permission to change anyone else's words. But what was kind of fun, it was uh, we figured out, now, how do we do this when we finally got down to the writing? And we had a shared Google Doc, and literally yeah. Alejandro would type in a line, oh, yeah. and Christian and I would be like, okay, as a character, how are we responding to this? And it was like watching magic on the screen yeah. where you would see the lines appear. And How cool. It, yeah, it really was. And I would work with them again. I don't know if I'd want to do this in Hollywood or New York and and – it'd be a whole lot different. But the technology of being able to, to see the, the words changing in front of yeah. you as you're discussing them. And it, it's, yeah. did you, well, Daryl, let me ask you this first. Did you feel a need to express a particular theme about Buffalo's rising fortunes? Or did you just start with, you already mentioned your inspiration of being down at the, at the ship canal and seeing guys fishing and so yeah. on. Did you say to yourself, I want to, I want to get across this point of view or or did it just sort of grow organically from your story i would have to say that after being downtown you know jogging around there so many times watching it just you know slowly build up that really inspired me i just love going down there peter mm-hmm. uh, but of course i had to put in there's also there's an irish mob element that gets in this play also <laughs> i had some and some bright money i had to throw that in the, you know it helped to build up the city so i had to throw that in too because you can't yes i needed to get a little dirty with it so <laughs> and diane did you did you guys discuss let's let's talk about the, the city's rising architecture or rising sports teams fortunes or, or or did it just organically come from the story itself and it ended up being at least hopeful 
I think ours was more uh, interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships. Mm-hmm. The story is opposed, it's Buffalo based, but we based it right in 2020, the summer. Wow. And we're three foster kids, mm-hmm. teenagers living. This is a backstory element, but we're living in, in an upper flat in a east side over a bodega where a couple of us work. And we have a, uh, one of the, I think it was Christian, if I'm wrong, sorry, Alejandro, he wanted uh, a real sci-fi element to it, which was exciting because I would never do sci-fi. And so we have a pocket watch that time travels. So now you got wow. three foster kids yeah. in 2020. And we didn't, <laughs> we made a conscious effort. We didn't want it to be about the pandemic, but it was, it shaped choices we made as characters because it is happening during a pandemic so how does that color the world as it were and everything that was happening with black lives matter colors our language and colors we are because it matters as our characters mm-hmm. so it grew and we talked about silo city we pepper some locations so people know we're in buffalo yeah. but it's really a story about the three young people it was easier them for them to write as youngsters, but you know, I dug deep and remembered what it was like. <laughs> oh, I see. So you were you were the oldest youngster there. I was yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was Darryl, all 17 in this in this production. <laughs> nice. Well, good. Daryl, I, I just have to ask you now, and, and it, you know, I guess I'll get to you on this also, Diane, but you've already mentioned so many elements of a of a plot that that I thought. How does he squeeze this oh. into a 10-minute play? Oh. Two questions, one about making it a radio play. But the first question is, how do you develop characters, develop a plot, start a complication, start a conflict, have a resolution all in 10 minutes? Is that particularly challenging, or is this something you've done on other occasions? Or what's the challenge of that? Daryl, let's start with you. Yeah, since I did you know, write several 10-minute plays before, mm-hmm. and oh, I've read many of them, tried to get to the conflict or and something that incites the play moves it forward real fast. So in my play, for example, right off the bat, the one guy's fishing pulls up his metal box. Reveal <laughs> this metal box. Now what's in the metal box? Oh, okay. And another fisherman. Yeah. So I get to that immediately. And then the whole story is about what's in that metal box. Oh, so there's an immediate <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We used to yeah. call it when I was teaching English a complication. There's immediately yeah, something right. happens that their lives take a little side tour for a second. Yeah, and, and so you quickly get to the complication, and yeah. then the remaining ten minutes somehow to develop characters and 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 resolve the whole thing. Diane, what was your same thing? If for we, you know, we did some research on radio plays, and I also yeah. grew up in a house where my mom and dad grew up listening to radio plays, so. Oh, you know, that's good. Back in the day when you had cassette tapes for Christmas, mom would get the Lone Ranger series. <laughs> nice. So I, I love yeah. radio plays. I think there's great, they're great, but they're like serials. You know, you you end with the cliffhanger and you start right again with, you know, pick it right up. So oh. we start right with a conflict. We're in the middle of a problem right from the get-go. Mm. And we work from that way forward. And it was tricky. It's about a minute, a page of dialogue, depending on who's the acting and, and you know sure. what's happening and sound effects around it. But we hung pretty close to the 10, 12 minute mark the whole mm-hmm. time. But we did have to do some culling and changing here and there. Mm-hmm. There was stuff we wanted to bring in and we just, you, you got to ax it, you, but you've got to give your audience enough, not too many names right. to figure out, are they going to be interested enough? 
right. you can't become too wedded to any one particular thing exactly. because that's that's got to go. Right. Oh, that's my favorite part. Well, we'll put it in the next one. Exactly. But the hook's got to be there. So, I, you know, Daryl, I'm hooked. I want to know what's in the box already. You got 10 minutes. <laughs> right. That really forces you to write so economically. You can't, you've got to cut out a lot of stuff. But I tend to write short. In other words, I always underwrite and I got to fill in the gaps. Some people write long. You're better off, I guess, writing long and then you get to chop it down. But Easier to chop. Plus, I showed it to my wife. My wife helped out a lot. I gave the script to her and she could sniff out the BS and say, well, you really got this. You may want to do that. So that helped me Oh, out. that's nice to have that kind of collaborator oh, it is. right in the same building with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And you hope for something positive. <laughs> yeah. So you can sleep that night without, you know, animosity. Do either of you, jump in either one of you, did you have to sort of write into it locations so that a person said, well, here we are at the Ship Canal or here we are in, on Main Street so that the people who are listening can right. picture the location? Did that have to go into your script? Daryl, you want to take that and then I'll... I, well, it, it gets mentioned towards the end of the play, but Sarah Falcon, the director, she, um, I think, added... I told her, go right ahead if you want to change. By the way, this whole Zoom stuff with writing a play, I we worked really well together. And I said, look, if you got to make changes to the script, by the way, just do it. <laughs> it's okay. I'm giving you my blanket permission right here now. I, Don't come to me for every I word. really am. If it was different, if we, again, if we could sit around a table, it would be different. I'll be more involved. I said, so Sarah, you, you probably know this play better than I do. Go ahead. So I think she added in something in the beginning of the play, so we know where we are. Uh, okay. And Diane, did you did you put that in? Oh yeah, we tried to. Uh, one of the things I learned in some of the playwriting classes was uh, show don't tell, don't be exposition Sue or exposition Ellen sure, or sure. whatever. But with a radio play that's supposed to be in Buffalo, we had to have some element of it. So we're running on Louisiana Street. We talk about Silo City. And my character ends up being a little expositional, but I'm also the oldest and I'm the only woman and I've got two younger foster brothers. So it's kind of like the know-it-all older sisters. So it's not too expositional, but if you're from Buffalo, you know, this is a Buffalo play. If you're not from Buffalo, that's okay. You might get a reference or two mm -hmm. that you realize it's not in your city. And that's all right too. <laughs> It's funny, you know, in the few minutes that I'm talking to you, I'm already so interested. I can't wait to hear these plays. Uh, and and we're already and we're already near the end of our time. So I'm going to give you, Daryl, let's start with you, oh boy, because you've already told us a lot about the not a lot, but you've given us some very enticing details. Is there anything else you want to say about it in terms of the, the characters or the plot that without giving too much away? Uh, well, I, I just sort of had to write it down because I knew we were going to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> Try to, well, it's basically the guy fishing at Union Ship Canal and he reels in a metal box thought to be full of gold belonging to the late mayor, Jimmy Griffin. Uh, this according to another guy who's fishing there who claims to know the mystery behind the contents of the metal box. Uh, so, and thus the title of the play, Griffin's Gold. Griffin's Gold. <laughs> yeah. I, the minute I read it, I said, oh, it's got to be Jimmy Griffin somewhere. But I thought it was going to be a political thing. Never mind. No, I don't no, want to say yeah, anymore. No. <laughs> Diane, anything else you want? I just assumed it was going to be a six-pack of beer you were going to reel in. Oh, man. Why I didn't I think of that? What are you thinking? That should have been the next thing that came up. Buffalo Rises 3.0 is coming next year. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think our story is about family and it's about um, three distinct ethnicities and characters and um, we try to discover what is similar about people instead of what is so different. So we have similarities in that we're in the foster care system and I don't know, it's just a lovely little piece in 10 minutes about the importance of family and who is family and how do we make family and who do you trust? Yeah, that seems to be your uh, specialty. <laughs> That's true. I guess there's a theme there, right? <laughs> uh, maybe I did have a little more influence over this. Yeah, well, I I'm, I'm thinking organically. <laughs> for those of you listening, uh, you know, Diane's play Forget Me Not, which was extremely family oriented. And uh, yeah. so I, it, it seeps into your work, I guess, Diane, huh? It does. Yeah. Well, listen, kids. Yeah, they, this was fun. I me. think this has been great. I, I just, you know, I had a conversation with another two playwrights, and this has, uh, everything's different. Not everything's different, but we've, we're talking about different things, and I think that's that's great. So I, I'm a big fan of radio plays, and I think if this helps revive this whole genre, yeah, sure. that yeah. wouldn't be bad. The human imagination, yeah. the, the things you see in your mind. Great stuff. Yeah. So listen, both of you, thanks so much for joining yeah. us here on Off Road. I'm so looking forward to seeing both these plays. Did a great job encouraging my enthusiasm, and I'm sure everybody else's too. So I hope to see both of you live and in person someday. Someday within the next decade, I think. Let's, let's I think that's reasonable. We can do that. <laughs> All right. Have a good day, folks. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. So Diane and Daryl, also two fun people to talk to. I had such a good time setting up and talking to these people. Six very different personalities, six very interesting and fun people. Coming up last, but not least by any means, Mary Poindexter McLaughlin, who is another terrific local writer. And as a surprise, guess who? Sean Cullen. You'd think he'd be tired of talking to me by now because we had a long interview several months ago. What a lot of fun we had when he was in town for the Antipodes. Sean also wrote a play for Buffalo Rises. So let's hear what Sean and Mary have to say. Well, listen, as long as you both are here and uh, we're, we're ready to begin the conversation, let's begin the conversation. Sure. I'm also very happy that you both look healthy. Thank you. You too. Yeah. I hope that's uh, true of everybody in your family. Yes, it is. These crazy yeah. times trying to just stay safe and sane is my is my motto. I'm sort of <laughs> I'm sort of waning on the sane part, but that's been going on for years. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy just to be able to take to take a breath. <laughs> Good for you. Good to see you, Peter. Good to see you too again. Well, ladies first. Uh, Mary, again, I know you've written a lot, but why are you involved in uh, Buffalo Rises this year? How did that come about? That was just an email, frankly. That was an invitation from RLTP to write something. So they got in touch with me. I don't know when that was. It was a while ago. It was before everything kind of went crazy in February and asked if I would write something. And Sean, I'm sure you also were invited no, I wasn't, Peter. I heard there was a, a, a Buffalo Rising 2.0, and I thought, well, how do I get in on this? No kidding. I just left town. You crashed the party? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Katie emailed me. It was later than Mary, maybe in uh, July, maybe? 
uh, June or July. So, so that's how I how how I, I found out about it. And you yeah. and you volunteered to say, hey, hey, I've, did you already have something uh, you know in mind? No, I was pleasantly surprised. You know, I, I I probably haven't written nearly as much as as Mary has. I've written one play and one teleplay, and I'm in a writing group over, down here downstate. But in the play, my one play was read at RLTP like 10 years ago but yes i remember that and i'd given it to katie i think while i was when we were there for when i was there for the antipodes so yeah i don't know how it maybe the uh, i don't know how it came about honestly i i noticed that mary was asked in, in in february by scott and i was asked in july by katie so i'm not sure if there's anything to that <laughs> You know, my memory's a little hazy. It could have been Katie. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure. Oh, that's all right. Sean, it sounds to me like they went through every other possibility. I think they did. And then they said, well, I, they did. I guess we give this new kid a chance. <laughs> they worked their way out of Erie County. <laughs> <laughs> Down to Cattaraugus and over, and then exactly. they said, all right, I guess we'll have to give Cullen a chance. <laughs> what, a, what a way to jump into something, though, because... You know, I've been talking to other people about this, and to to have a a ten minute play, I think, and and granted, I've written squat, I've tried, but nothing has ever come out of these fingers of any value. <laughs> to, but to jump in with a ten minute play, wherein you have to develop a plot and a setting, and 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 not only not only that, but it's a radio play. So in some ways you're restricted, and in other ways you're it's it's wide open. So. Mary, let me let me start with you. So, is writing a radio play something different for you? And w what are the challenges that you that you found in it? Because it could be very liberating, or it could be very restrictive. It was both, I would say. Yeah, I like limitations. I mean, I I'm an old improver, and in improv, you know, I think having that structure around you, having some limitations, sometimes narrows down the field enough that you can actually think. Um, for me, when I have too many options and too many choices, I kind of shut down and go into some kind of panic mode. So it's really nice in some ways to have enough limitation that it gives you direction. Uh. So for me, 10 minutes is, is good. I, I enjoy writing 10 minute plays. I mean, there are times when you feel like, okay, really, it can't be 12 minutes. <laughs> You know, that's, that's frustrating. If I only had another two and a half minutes. Exactly. Exactly. And that's actually true. There are times. Um, but the radio part of it, I found fascinating. So I've never written for radio before. That was, that was completely new for me. And I realized that I'm a much more visual writer than I, than I knew before. I noticed that I write from images that come. And so in this case, the images came and I wrote, but then I still had to find the, the I guess, the auditory equivalent of those images right. in a sense. Hmm. Um, and that was actually really cool. I feel like in some ways I, I expanded one of my senses without even knowing it. How interesting. Yeah, I sort of breathed into my, my hearing and my auditory um, senses in a way that I'd never done before in terms of writing a play. Well, I want to talk about specifically radio aspects of this, but Sean, first of all, did you find it restrictive or did you find it liberating? Because a 10-minute play to establish, you know, a conflict and the characters and the setting and all of that and then resolve it all in 10 minutes, to me, that's uh, wow. <laughs> well, I think I, I think I might have erred, erred on the 12-minute side other than the 10-minute side. I'm sure you've been forgiven. 
I hope so. I hope so, God, Peter. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I started out with this idea of, um, you know, because I've been left town essentially in, in 1983 after I graduated from college, I still had on my mind the, uh, or came into my mind the uh, Talking Proud jingle and the video. Yes. And so that's, <laughs> so I kind of started with uh, an oral idea and um and i just kind of filled it in as and i as i went and as i realized about just about doors opening and closing it kind of became you know it had certain farcical elements that you know like a door a door slamming farce or something but it, it, it's not a farce but it's an old-fashioned like radio comedy i think in a, in a certain way phil and heidi and a tall tale of talking proud is the name of it yeah yeah. 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 So you get this commission basically to sit down and write a 10 minute radio play and you had to rack your brain for ideas and you didn't have something just sitting there. Am I correct in, in my assessment of that? Yeah, no, I, I didn't. At a certain point, I emailed Katie and I said, Katie, I'm, uh, you know, I've got a round hole here and a square peg. And uh, <laughs> I was kind of stymied, you know, I'd worked on it for on and off for a week or so. And then I, at once I said that and, and expressed that to Katie, it kind of freed me up, and it, and I ended up, you know, whittling my square into a into a, a round, a round hole. And, and then it, it, on, it, on top of it, it has to be about a positive story about Buffalo on the rise. Yeah. And Mary, did you have an idea in the back of your mind? Did you pull something off the shelf that you'd been had been sitting there stewing? No, no. no. <laughs> I can see from the look on your face. What, what, what's your play called, Mary? <laughs> My play is called The Fall. <laughs> yes. So you can guess where that's going. Um, uh, it's it, it, like Sean, I talked to Katie and said, I can't, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. This isn't, this isn't working for me. I'm detecting a trend here. Yeah. Poor Katie is all I can say. Oh, God. Really? Yeah. He was these, great. All these desperate phone calls. Well, so my issue had more to do with finding something that was positive because at that time I wasn't feeling super positive about right. really anything in this country. And <laughs> yeah, the whole concept of a feel good Buffalo thing just was leaving me cold. So um, yeah. she said, you know, if that's where you are, then right from there. And I also thought about a play that I had already written for RLTP, another short play called Empire. And that play was about um, a vet who becomes very disillusioned with his country, essentially. Um, and it, it, it's more than that. He goes on to become a pastor in Jediism, which is a real thing, actually. It's a real religion, um, which I just thought was fascinating. So anyway, that character, though, sort of spoke to me. And I took him and I took the wife from that play. And honestly, once she gave me the freedom to, to go with whatever was coming to me, that's how the fall came about. Because it's really about how we see ourselves as Americans and, and the falling away of that image. So holy, this this is way too much thinking for me. Oh, well, sorry, I, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, to, for you to sit down and put all of those pieces, I've always admired writers tremendously, and anybody who can sit down and, and put these pieces together and how they fall, all the puzzle pieces just sort of fall together. And I'm sure it was 
much more complicated even than you have explained because you well you mentioned something a few minutes earlier but then how do you express this in a radio play where there is no visual so how did you tackle that mary and then well, shauna same question for you i don't know how i tackled it i i i mean honestly i think when you when you're in the habit of writing I don't know how to explain it. Honestly, it's like, it's a listening process. I guess that's the best way to put it. So, so once I had these two individuals and I knew who they were already because I had written a play about them previously, Mm -hmm. I just put them in a different situation and listened to what they said to each other. And then it's more dictation than creation in a sense. I find it so interesting that writers always refer to their characters as if they're people hanging around behind them and whispering in their ear. And, and I remember reading an interview with Stephen King, or, or some, not even Stephen King, it was somebody else a long time ago. And she said, I just, I just started with these characters and I let them take me where they, where they wanted to go. Well, yeah. That's psychopathic. That's well, what are you is. talking <laughs> It absolutely is. I get a lot of alternative therapy, you know, just to but, keep me sane. So, yeah. So then, Sean, how do you develop the, the, the scene with sound effects or with, do you put into the words of the characters, here we are at the Buffalo City Hall? How do you develop that kind of because it's it can't be shown and it can't be done like with a with a card you know uh, yeah. in front of the screen well you know i guess no matter what you're writing you choose the characters and then you put them in a setting and so i was kind of uh, i actually had the setting before i had the characters i set it at uh, the cloister the cloister the old cloister restaurant on delaware avenue i remember it well i think i was there once or twice at the once anyway at the piano bar Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and I've done enough uh, restaurant kind of work and thinking of the layout of restaurants. And I decided to put it in a, in a back room, in a private room at the at the cloister. I don't know if there was such a space. And so there's piano music. Maybe we hear a little tinkling piano. Well, I think I don't know. Uh, I don't know what Sarah's done, who's directed the play. But uh, I, I've asked for Philip Glass is one of the characters in the play. That's uh, Heidi mm-hmm. and Phil. Oh, uh, of Heidi and Phil. Well, that's awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, my attempt at the, the intellectual side of uh, theater. So I, as I was almost finished with it, I thought, oh, wow. I started listening to Philip Glass, you know, and I thought, well, this could be the music, the underplay at the restaurant that's playing over the speakers while, you know, it's afternoon, it's between lunch and dinner. These people are in the back room at the cloister. You hear dishes and silverware hitting things. and Yes, there's a waitress, Heidi, who is doing exactly what you just described at the mm-hmm. top. So, you know, there's a sound of her, you know, wiping silverware down and putting it in the thing. And so that's how it starts. And I guess Heidi would already be in the room. And the first character walks into the room and the door opens and the door closes. And, and then the next character comes in, a door opens, door closes. And then Philip Glass walks in. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> How many characters? Sorry, I know you're supposed to ask the questions, Peter, but I'm. No, that's right. How many Please characters go ahead. do you have, Sean? There are five. Awesome. Right. Okay. Yeah, which is a lot of which is a lot of people in a in a ten minute play. It is. How do you keep them? How do you? Keep, well, I guess the voices must be um, different enough. Differentiated enough. Yeah. 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 They're, 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 you, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the characters is named Ari Skohari. 
there's a town down here called Skahari. <laughs> so it's so I said this to Katie when we talked. Uh, I've, I've done enough comedies and, you know, love sex in the IRS, anybody, yes. in summer stock in Pennsylvania in 1991. <laughs> so I just kind of, it just kind of fell into that. It kind of fell into the, that genre with a little bit of screwball comedy from the, from the late thirties and into the, and one of the other playwrights talked about, well, with a radio play, although, you know, you don't even have to have a lot of people in the cast because, I mean, you can have a lot of people, but only hire three actors and they're, they're doing different voices and different styles oh, yes. and, and so on. So at least the company saves money yeah, that very way. Economical. Mary, did you also establish your setting? Where is yours set? Uh, it's set in a, in an, well, in a house or an apartment you don't really know. Mm-hmm. You know, the setting is not super important in this. Not important. It does take place in Buffalo, but because it's sort of a metaphor for something larger, yes. it doesn't necessarily draw too much on the surroundings. The, the sounds that we ended up using, um, I had written in certain sounds, and then and then Kyle Locanti and the um, sound designer, oh, whose name escapes me. Eric. Thank you. Eric Burlingame. Um, yep came up with other options as well that I think added a lot of layers to it, a lot of, lot of texture. But there are, a lot of, there are a lot of zippers, actually, in mine. That, that's the- <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, now, you know, every time I talk to one of these playwrights, I think, that sounds so interesting. You know, I'm a big fan of radio plays. I hope this brings back the whole genre of it, it, it as, a, as one single positive to this pandemic mess. And there's something about the, you know, the human imagination that sets things and when you hear sounds and you hear you hear the door opening and you're and the door closes you hear those sorts of things and i think sound will probably be a really important element not character but element of these whole things so i wanted to ask you also about the difficulties in getting the plot down in in 10 minutes starting a story conflict resolution sean did you were you able to do that in the 12 minutes or so that you had or did you I mean how did you handle that well you know you have to have a beginning middle and end yeah. you know and uh I didn't know quite how that it was gonna end quite like a traditional comedy until I would uh, I'd say I was two-thirds of the way through all of a sudden this love story uh kind of appeared and it became kind of a romantic uh, comedy so I just went with that you know it it was the only exit off the throughway at that point of writing a play, you know? <laughs> That's an interesting analogy. I like that. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> it just showed itself and it worked. Not everything, you have to choose and select and put plug things in, components, and if it doesn't work, you know, try something else. But this kind of showed itself and then I was able to just uh, carry that through and keep the conflict and keep the ball in the air tension-wise to the end. I, I, I hoped anyway. We'll see We'll see what uh, how, it, how it turns out. I, I wasn't unfortunately i wasn't there and i haven't heard it i wasn't there when they recorded but the cast was great in rehearsal i was there mm-hmm. for uh, on, on zoom through one rehearsal and uh, and sarah seemed to have a good hold on so. mary are you adept i shouldn't say adept but are you familiar with the whole 10 minute play concept have you written several of them yeah. or did this one just sort of throw you for a a new challenge no i would say that i'm i'm very familiar with the 10 minute you're very familiar with telling a story in a very limited amount of time. And you already said that you actually like the limitations. I do. And I think I choose 
stories that can be told in 10 minutes. I mean, I, I think that's that's part of the art of it is finding the, what I want to say, the the kernel. Yeah, in a sense. I mean, this is, you know, this is 10 crucial minutes in the lives of uh, a man and, a, and his wife, you know, husband and wife. And I think you can get good at sort of boiling down, okay, what are those, what are the 10 minutes that would be the most compelling, the most crucial, the most interesting and transformative for this couple? And that's really, that's really what I tried to do. And again, like Sean, I'm like, I, I hope it was successful. I think it was, you know, we'll see. I, I, like him, I was able to sit in on a rehearsal and was absolutely blown away by what the actors and the director were doing. Who's in your piece, Mary? Kristen Tripp Kelly's in it. And, oh. Yeah, and Anthony Alcaser. <laughs> Sean knows her, sure. And Anthony Alcaser? Yes. Oh, well, pff, you've got top-notch people there. Totally. I know. When I heard those, are the, those were my two actors. I was like, ah, I, you know, I don't even have to show up at rehearsals. I, they've got this. And Kyle, too. Loconti is a tremendous. Oh, oh, she's wonderful. Well, listen, I, I'm actually finished. I've run out of questions, unless you'd like to say anything more to entice us into listening to these, uh, to the fall and Phil and Heidi and a tall tale of talking proud. I think, Mary, I think we have a general idea of what's going on in yours, yeah. generally. Yeah, see, I don't really want to give you the plot. I don't want you to either. I know that you had said, oh, tell us what the, what it's about. And I, and I feel like there's sort of a big reveal in the middle. And if I tell you the plot, if I even tell you actually... Too, too much about the, the characters. Well, it's called The Fall, so clearly it's two people who are trapeze artists. <laughs> and uh, they are, I'm, I'm not sure, but is there maybe a fall involved? Oh, clearly. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, a, yeah. a Pratt fall, I think. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> no, you can't do that, because I think Sean's got that in his. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> we can't have too many Pratt falls. <laughs> well, listen, kids, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it, uh, you taking the time to talk to me today. Do you guys know when the when the pieces are going to be uh, up on the website? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I don't know exactly, but I looked it up, and I believe they're going to be released on Thursday and two days a week. Radio plays will be released twice per week, Mondays and Thursdays, beginning November 2nd. I better learn a lot more about it because I'm going to have to try to promote this on the podcast <laughs> for me to just go, oh, hold on a second while I look it up online because I'm just too dumb to have researched this ahead of time. No, just lazy. Not dumb. <laughs> Wait, you know, there's a fine line. There's a it, so laziness leads to dumbness. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm putting that on my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I'll expect a two person play written by either one of you with it, with a theme that laziness leads to dumbness. If you take, if you take dumbness, I'll take laziness. Mary. <laughs> I'm all for it. I got it. <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks so much for meeting with me today. I love talking to both of you. It's been great. Stay safe and sane, both of you. Thank you, you Peter. Look you forward too. to hearing your play, too, Mary. Take good oh, care. Oh, likewise, Sean. I'm really excited. Yeah. Have a good day, guys. Yeah. Cheers, Peter. Bye-bye. So tell me, that doesn't get you excited about wanting to hear the six plays of Buffalo Rises 2.0. I'll tell you all about it in a few minutes when I tell you exactly what the procedure is going to be if you want to listen to Buffalo Rises 2.0 and all of the radio plays that will be presented by Road Less Traveled. But first, let's listen for the final time to a message from the bunker. It's our last message from the bunker 
but not our last mystery guest. So things will be changing a little bit. But for now, I hope you enjoy our mystery guest with his message from the bunker. The food is still good, the drink is still good, and the conversation is still as stimulating, albeit muffled. That's Mr. Tim Newell. All the way from Chicago. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for sending in your contribution. We all hope you're doing well there in Chicago. And of course, we miss you here. So let's get on to how do you listen to Buffalo Rises 2.0? Well, the tickets are $25. That's access to all six plays, but they'll be released one at a time every Thursday and the following Monday, starting on November 5th. So it goes from November 5th, that's Thursday, November 5th, through Monday the 23rd. But of course, you don't have to be there at the exact time that it's released. Those are simply the release dates. Anytime you go on to roadlesstraveledproductions.org, get your tickets, get your access code, you will be permitted to listen to whatever number of plays have been released at that point, and then you wait for the following week to get the next one, or the following Monday to get the next one, and that's how it's going to work. And I believe they'll be available to you for several weeks after that. And by the way, here's a surprise. Bigfoot is being released for a second sort of a Halloween treat, so look for that. $10 admission for that. If you miss Bigfoot first time around, don't miss your chance again. And if you'll allow me to just self-promote for a second, I just want to promote a show that I'm doing with the Jewish Repertory Theater. It opens on November 5th. It is online only. It's a virtual performance, but I think you'll be very pleased with it. It's a very funny, sweet, touching show called Bar Mitzvah Boy. It's about a a young man in his late 60s who decides when his grandson is getting a bar mitzvah, maybe it's time for him to get one too. I really think you'll enjoy it. Tickets are available online at the JewishRepertoryTheater.com website. Check it out. It opens November 5th. It was my last chance to tell you about it because, of course, my next podcast won't be for two more weeks, and by that time, we will have already opened. So if you're of a mind to check it out, I'd really appreciate it. And finally, as if this wasn't enough for one podcast, I want to announce that starting with the next podcast, we're changing it up again. Things will be a little different. What we are going to be doing is introducing two new features. And as a special treat, you're finally going to get the chance to listen to the first interview I ever did with my good friend Jay Desiderio from out there in Cheektowaga at Bobby Jay's. It's all part of the revised format here at RLTP's Off-Road. So please tune in again in a couple of weeks and see how we've changed things up the new features we're adding, and, of course, listen to my interview with the great Jay Desiderio. Right here on Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. <laughs> <laughs>